Uh, we're in Revelation chapter 17. Started 17 last week, almost through the book of Revelation. Uh, and we'll, we'll cover 17 and jump into a little of 18 today, so hang on. Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. For he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amaz amazement. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit to go to perdition. And those who dwell on earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings, who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. After the rapture of the church, a system, Mystery Babylon, mother of harlots, Spoken of in verse 5, it will arise. It is a system where Christ is totally absent. Yet, it has all the markings 
of a religious system. The angel of verse 1 tells John this system of prominence and great wealth located in the vicinity of seven hills or Rome. Referenced in verse 9 there. Rome from days of old has always been known as the city on seven hills. Rome will be the headquarters of this mother of harlots. This system, this organization, referred to as Mystery Babylon, will ride, will work together with the beast. A system of government is the beast, ecumenically and commercially strong and with tremendous appeal to the world. So we will have a time, second half of the tribulation, where the enemies of Christ will unite, will come against anyone who believes in Christ. For many people are going to turn to Christ during the tribulation. I think it will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. And But these new saints must give up their life. They will be martyred by this system of the great harlot and of the beast. Chapter 17 and 18, and we'll get into the uh, first eight verses of 18, are simply prophetic summaries of God's judgment upon the world system that is dedicated to killing believers and saints that have turned to Jesus. Now, last week we looked at Mystery Babylon, nothing more than a religious cult system, which dates all the way back to Nimrod, Nimrod of Noah's day. Babylon, a false worship cultish system totally opposed to Christ, having begun having its origins back at Babel, shortly after the flood. Now, that goes way back. But there's no mystery whatsoever that man was created, designed to worship. You will worship something. Bob Dylan wrote a song. You may worship the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to worship somebody. And that's so true. You do worship somebody. The big question is, Who or what do you worship? Today, people are caught up into what we call humanistic self-worship. And that is simply a belief that is based upon, perhaps there is a higher power, but I only worship what I consider reasonable. And that is nothing more than a worship of my own intellect. The church today, unfortunately, is greatly influenced by man's reasoning and man's self-love. You hear it everywhere. Be all you can be. You were created to be prosperous and so forth and so on. And we have a lot of so-called scholars today who are constantly removing and adding to God's word. 
telling us what Jesus really had to say or telling us which were the miracles that Jesus really performed. Who made them the expert? <laughs> anyway. Several years back, I had a young lady who came to me and she said, you can interpret scripture or the Bible in many different ways. Now, I had to differ with that opinion. Her premise, but her thinking was, scripture can say anything you want it to say. Answering that objection, the Holy Spirit has promised that he will be our teacher. The Holy Spirit who lives in each and every believer will teach us if we allow him to. Second Timothy, great verse. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. A couple verses there. All scripture, that's most of it, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thank you, Paul, for writing that to us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, not part, not the verses and chapters that we find uh, appealing to our intellect or anything, but all scripture are given to us so that we each and every one of us can have direction from God in sound belief unto good works. Not just to believe to have the right beliefs, but to have the right beliefs unto good works. We are to be doing good works. Peter has his take on uh, a similar passage, and it's in Second Peter 1, 19 and through 21. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Scripture is nothing more than God's prophetic word to mankind. Scripture is a delight. It's a morning star. It's a pleasure to our hearts. And Peter goes on to say, no scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, you can't take it and make it fit your situation. Scripture stands on itself. It is the word of God, and God makes no apology for it. You can't alter or twist God's word. It is given to us straightforward by the Holy Spirit. For prophecy, it says, God's word never came by the will of man. Aren't you glad for that? I am. <laughs> that makes me turn to the scriptures with delight because it's from God. 
But Scripture came through holy men of God, moved by the Holy Spirit. And God openly declares, he says, my word is my word. And we have the sure word of God telling us how to live life and really how to worship God. We don't have the privilege to choose any willy-nilly method of worship. We're guided, we're directed by God's word. And anyone who would force upon us any old Babel, going back to the Tower of Babel, concocted evil system of Satan, anyone that would force us to do that is not of the Lord. And this system will come to force upon the whole world during the tribulation. You see, man is very religious, whether we like to admit it or not. And during the tribulation, religion, per se, will blossom. Verse 13, the European Confederation of Nations and Kingdoms will give their power and their authority to the beast. This beast, this beastly confederation will unite with the great harlot, this religious system, and they will make war against the Lamb of God. This war, it will not have a lot of great battles you know, and you win a few battles and you lose a few battles, but God wins in the end. Not for a moment. Not for a moment. With the simple word from God, the battle is over. Satan and his cohorts destroyed and defeated by the spoken word. God doesn't eke out a victory at the last moment. Jesus speaks, and it's done. In the same way that he spoke the worlds into existence, the same way he breathed life into Adam, God's word began everything, and God's word will close everything. Our Lord, by the sword of his mouth, by the word of God, defeats Satan and his allies completely, and the Lamb overcomes the world. And he overcomes by the spoken word. The spoken word of God. And the saints, the saints here on the earth that have been martyred, the ones who have cried out to God for justice, they will see justice come. And these saints are called chosen and faithful. That's not a bad label. I would like to be called chosen and faithful. I'll go with that one. And we also have, not necessarily after this time, but we have in conjunction along with the events of the tribulation, the beast, the confederation, Satan, will turn against this ugly harlot, this mystery Babylon, because Satan doesn't want this divided worship coming. He turns against the harlot and he demands worship from the whole 
world. He turns against his ally, this mystery Babylon. This Babylon system that is located, and I'm convinced it's in Rome, will become desolate and ultimately it will be burned with fire. In verse 18, and the woman, this Babylon system of Rome is destroyed. This false religious system is destroyed and it becomes straightforward worship of Satan. No more mirrors, no more lights. Worship Satan. And then we have chapter 18, and it describes the destruction of another Babylon, not the false religion Babylon, but another Babylon. So let's read the first eight verses of chapter 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of the, her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed. Mix double for her. In the measure that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. So we have another Babylon. And they have two schools of thought here on Babylon the Great. Chapter 17 describes the religious system Babylon. Chapter 18 describes a commercial Babylon. Let me give you some comparisons here. Chapter 17, you have Mystery Babylon. Chapter 18, you have Babylon the Great. Symbol in 17 of a harlot. You have a harlot in chapter 17, and in chapter 18 you have a great city. 17, identified as Rome, an inland city. In chapter 18, it's a port city. Chapter 17, woman, harlot, and mother. Chapter 18, a great marketplace. So you see the differences here. You have one, this system, and the other is a commercial system. Uh, the harlot is guilty of religious abominations. Uh, this, the commerce, Babylon, is full of greed and self-indulgence. In, uh, the Ten Horn Confederation is destroyed in chapter 17, which previously supported her. And in chapter 18, 
commercial Babylon is destroyed by a sudden act of God. So you have two Babylons here. And John speaks to us about Babylons. They're intertwined, yet they are distinct. Now remember this. John is writing in exile. John has been arrested. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos. And John very possibly is writing in terms that his reader will understand, but also using terms that Rome will not be familiar with. So John writes to believers, the time of judgment upon the Babylons, they're different times. Religious Babylon, it seems to be destroyed at mid-tribulation. The commercial Babylon is destroyed at the end of the tribulation. And we have the differences here. Revelation is a prophetic book. And if it's confusing to you, don't feel alone. It can be confusing. But God will reveal to us as we see how it all plays out from a viewpoint of heaven because the church is not appointed to go through the tribulation a time of God's wrath. It's not unusual for prophetic events to be confusing. It's much easier to understand prophecy once it's completed. You heard that here first. It's easier to understand it once it's over with. <laughs> and when we look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament, not all of them, but a lot of them, you have to bring all those prophecies together for it to make sense. Micah, he talks about Messiah will come out of Bethlehem. Hosea says Messiah will come out of Egypt. Malachi, Messiah will go to the temple. Zechariah, Messiah will come to Zion or Jerusalem. Isaiah says Messiah will come to Galilee. So which of these Old Testament prophets are right? Well, we know they were all right. But you have to take all of their prophetic utterances and bring them together, and then it makes sense. The Jewish religion has a lot of difficulty. The devout Jews have a tremendous difficulty reconciling suffering Messiah with ruling kingly Messiah. They have Messiah as two different people. They don't see Jesus as suffering and then being king. And so to a devout Jew, they have to reconcile this with two messiahs. But we read in verse 2 that Babylon is falling, is falling. Babylon, the religious system, and Babylon, the commercial system, both will fall. And so don't be confused about the hows, but it is, it is required to happen according to the one who wrote the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit. And we know that Saddam Hussein recently captured and hanged. He loved to be associated with, and this is recent history, 
with the old ancient Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And he was doing a lot of building in Iraq of Babylon. Saddam Hussein even had bricks, mortar bricks, made with his name on the bricks because he wanted to be associated with the ancient Babylon. Now, probably, how you like that for a qualifier? Perhaps, maybe. <laughs> Commercial Babylon is a system not unlike our world trade centers like Wall Street and other trading centers around the, the world. And the angel who brings this news to John, he, he is an angel who has been in the presence of God. He's illuminated. He glows from being in the presence of God, just like Moses was illuminated and he had to veil his face when he would come down from the mountain after being with God. This angel is impressive, and we tend to listen to someone who glows. You know, if I glowed, you would listen. But anyway, verse 4, we have another voice from heaven, and this voice is warning and commanding the people of God. And his command is, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sin. God wants us to avoid sin. Yes, he died for our sins to forgive us, but he also wants us to avoid sin. And we've all experienced times when God by his spirit provides a way of escape from temptation, and that's because he doesn't want us to sin. Joseph of Egypt fame, he fled Potiphar's wife. He fled from her. He ran from her. And that's not a bad option. Fleeing from sin is not being cowardly. It's being spiritually wise. It's often been said, if you've got a drinking problem, don't go to a bar to have lunch. You know, it's that simple. But the warning of verse 4, come out of her is great advice. Because if we don't come out of her commercial Babylon, there is a penalty to pay. STD, sexually transmitted diseases, are proof to us that sin has consequences. Many people will carry a disease all of their life from one encounter, from a moment of sexual pleasure. God has his angel warn us, his people, and tells us, come out of her, get away from her, speaking of commercial Babylon. And he says, lest you share in her plagues. Well, what is commercial Babylon? Buying and selling and trading for profit. Great profit. Not just to get by profit, but greedy profit. Commercial Babylon, her great root sin is 
greed. And don't we all have to fight greed? We do. Greed manifests itself in various ways in our lives. Greedy persons can be poor or they can be rich. But here's one thing. They are never a cheerful giver. A greedy person is not a cheerful giver. God and his kingdom, missionaries, churches, Christian churches, are supported by the giving of his people, the giving of tithes and offerings from his people. Believers, you and I, are allowed to support God's causes, his kingdom. That is a blessing, by the way. When we look back on last year, 011, and here we are in January, we can readily see God's protection and his provision. Yeah, God, you watched over me there. Yeah, you provided for me there. And when we look back and reflect upon God's goodness to us, that should translate into us being a cheerful giver. Cheerful giving is recognition of God's blessing. That's all it is. And if you can't be a cheerful giver, keep it. Honestly, keep it. It doesn't do you any good if you're not giving cheerfully. We are never to be a begrudging giver because cheerful giving is an act of worship to God. Cheerful giving says, greed, you do not own me. It's that simple. Verse 5, we read, For the sins of commercial Babylon have reached to heaven. Several things that the Lord really says that he hates. Pride. And he says he hates greed, too. He hates greed. God's solution, God's judgment comes upon this greedy world in the form of plagues. Plagues come upon greedy commercial Babylon and Babylon, the commercial system, is destroyed in one day. One day and it's all over. Now we live in economically troubling times right now. You know, last three years haven't been that pleasant for a lot of people. Many of us have to be very careful with our budget, which is nothing wrong with that, and we really have to be careful on what we consider investments. Where do we spend our money on what and so forth. As a church, the board and myself, we try Desperately to be careful with your tithes and your offerings. They are carefully prayed over as to where we spend and what we spend on. And we too want to be found 
cheerfully giving. So we give to missionaries. We support different missions. We have missionaries in Africa that came out of our fellowship. That's a blessing. That is someone we know out there doing God's work. And so we gladly support them. I firmly believe, however, Christians are required to be good stewards of the funds that pass through your hands. That is required. I've heard people say, well, I just give it to the church and then it's their responsibility. No, 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 no. no. You're more trusting than I am. <laughs> I want to make sure that church is doing what's right. I want to make sure that they're living what they're talking about. Uh, we don't support anyone that we don't know. It's that simple. And I think it's important for you to know that. We're required to be good stewards. Whether those funds be small or whether they be great, we're required to be good stewards. Because we desperately want God to turn the plagues of greed, of commercial Babylon, we want him to turn them away from our life. And those plagues are death, mourning, and famine. So I'll make a confession to you. I desperately desire God's blessings upon my life and upon the life of each one who sits here. I desperately want you to be blessed of God. I don't want any plagues upon any of us. And so we want to avoid the things that that angel, by his God's spirit, told him, come out of her. Do not be like the world around you. Be separate. You're called to a higher calling. Let's pray.